0: I'm your host, Annie Bowles, and this is a bonus episode of News Du Jour. Hey everyone, and welcome back to a special episode for my maternity leave of News du Jour. I am covering today a true crime case, and this is going to be part of our special series on women's safety. And specifically, this is an MMIW case. So, If you're not familiar with the MMIW movement, I would go ahead and pause right here and go and listen to our episode on that because I think learning about uh, the context of the MMIW crisis and movement as a whole will shed some really important light on this case. We don't typically cover true crime. This I think is like the third or fourth episode that I'm writing about a true crime case. So bear with me as I get my footing. You know, writing these episodes can be tough when there's so much detail and fact-checking involved. And so I'm gonna do my best to cover these cases just to raise awareness. Um, That's the goal here. And to get you guys to participate in finding justice for cases that still do not have justice. That is the point of covering these. They're not for entertainment. So, just wanted to make that really clear, right here at the top. But without further ado, we'll go ahead and jump into the case. So, Kaseira Stops Pretty Places was an indigenous woman who was murdered in Montana, and her case still is in need of justice today. I'm gonna start with who was Kay Sarah, but. Before we get into all of that, I wanted to remind you guys that there will be a call to action at the end of this episode to help get justice for Kaysera. So this isn't all in vain. There's things we can do, you guys, and there'll be links to all of the resources you might need in our show notes. So who was Kaysera? Kaysera Stops Pretty Places was a young crow woman. She was an athlete, sports ran in her family. She played a ton of sports, from running to basketball, even football. But she was not strictly an athlete. She was also incredibly artistic. She loved to sing, draw, paint, and act. She actually suffered from undiagnosed dyslexia, but she was known to be a very passionate, smart, kind, and funny person, according to her family, and just someone you wanted to be around. And from the stories I've heard about her through our research, she was also incredibly brave. But on August 29th, 2019, Kaysera was found dead just days after turning 18, wrapped in a plastic tarp in someone's backyard, just over the fence from this very public path, right on a busy road. Like It was so busy and it was so close to the road that it's almost like you could toss something out of a moving car and have it land where Kaysera was found. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. Seriously, make it stop. Thankfully, there's one company out there that's giving you a much needed break. It's Mint Mobile as the first company to sell premium wireless service online only. Mint Mobile lets you order from home and save a ton with phone plans starting at just $15 a month. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. To get your new wireless plan for just $15 a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. That's mintmobile.com slash switch. But the biggest thing here is she was wrapped in plastic, you guys. People don't die of natural causes or kill themselves and then hop into some plastic afterwards. Someone clearly did this to her. Now, whether or not her death could have been accidental is potentially up for debate. But there was certainly someone else involved in wrapping and moving her body after the fact. So... What led up to this moment? Well, a lot. So let's dive in. So Casera was barely 18 years old when she died. She had not even graduated high school yet. There were two major events that happened prior to the day that she went missing that I think are worth touching on because they could potentially be related to what happened to her. Whether or not they were related, we still don't know. But they're too bizarre to overlook. A couple of months before she was found dead, Kaysera was actually kidnapped. That's right, kidnapped. She was in the process of boarding a bus in Missoula to go home home, when she was abducted before she made it on the bus. She found herself in the town of Pryor, which is actually the epicenter of a human trafficking and meth distribution center that is central to the MMIW crisis. Again, if you don't know what that is, go and listen to that episode um, from this series because it just sheds a lot of light on the overall situation. But she was one of the few who was able to get away. And according to her family, in the Say Her Name documentary, Kay Sarah became privy to information about other missing girls when she was kidnapped. She was found dead less than two weeks later. So you guys can obviously see why I think that could be relevant. But believe it or not... Right between her kidnapping and her death, another major sketchy occurrence took place. A week before her death, Kay Sarah attended this fair with her 15-year-old brother, who happened to be in a wheelchair. Some type of verbal dispute between Kaysera's brother and some police officers led them to begin beating her underage brother, who was disabled, in a wheelchair at the time. Kaysera was obviously upset in seeing this and began to film the beating. She spoke to the officer on camera, demanding that he stop assaulting her brother. This was the same officer who would find her body just one week later and claim to the family that it was not Kaysera. He was also the officer that the family first tried to report her missing to, who suggested that she was just out partying. Brutally beating a child in a wheelchair could be enough to end a cop's career, and Kaysera had footage of that. The officers involved were actually investigated and punished, though this did not happen right away, and Kaysera went missing within the next week, so... That's just too major of a coincidence to be ignored in the context of what all happened next. So now I want to go over kind of the timeline of events. Um, You know, obviously those two are big pieces leading up to the timeline, but in terms of like her going missing, what exactly happened and what was what were her last known sort of whereabouts and movements and what she was doing. In the context of a missing person, it's always important to look at their last moments of life. Where were they last seen? What were they last doing? And in Kaysera's case, the night before she went missing, Kaysera was with her family member named Isabella and Isabella's boyfriend, Nastosi. He was known to be abusive against Isabella, which could be relevant here as well. According to the Going West podcast... A fight then broke out between Isabella and Natosi because Natosi did not want Isabella to leave with Kaysera. He reportedly was physically restraining Isabella. Apparently then a police car nearby sounded their siren to kind of break things up between Isabella and Natosi and everyone scattered immediately running in different directions. Later on, K. Sarah's friends said that they could not find her, you know, after they'd all split up to kind of run from the police siren. They reportedly went to Natosi's house, but he would not let them, them in to look for her. And that is for sure suspect. And we have to also mention the fact that he lived very in very close proximity to where she was found. I believe it was just a couple houses down from the house, the yard that she was then found in, in the plastic tarp. But he could have had a bunch of different reasons for not wanting them in his house that could have nothing to do with Kaysera. That said, this fight and the run in with the police was the last time that Kaysera was seen alive. Kaysera then went missing on August 24th. August 25th, Kay Sarah's aunt goes down to the police station to report her missing. They told her that there was a mandatory waiting period, as many parents are told. And this is not true, you guys. I just feel like, you know, if you're not a true crime buff, you may not know that. And there isn't a mandatory waiting period. And in fact, the first hours after someone disappears, especially a child, are incredibly Pivotal to finding them and finding them safely. Finally, on August 27th, the police heard that, heard the aunt out and maybe wrote down some things about Kay Sarah's disappearance, but it appeared that they never actually filed a missing persons report for Kay Sarah. They told the family that she was likely out partying. <laughs> oh, it just like sickens me to my core. Like, just that that would be the reaction. On August 29th, when word started going around that a body of a young woman had been found, okay, Sarah's aunt, who she was very close with as per Crow family tradition, I as I understand it, in Crow family tradition, aunts function as additional moms, basically. She showed up at the crime scene hoping to identify or rule out this young woman's body. Again, the police officer who Kaysera had filmed beating her handicapped brother just a week prior was the one who was there, and he told Kaysera's aunt that it was not her. She left believing him. The police failed to secure the crime scene. On August 31st, the family was still hearing rumors that the body found was a young Crow woman. So the aunt went down to the Bolas mortuary to see if they could attempt to identify this woman or again, at least rule her out that she was not Kaysera. Terry Bolas, who is the owner of the mortuary, told them again that it was not Kaysera. The family painfully searched for two more weeks for their missing daughter, niece, loved one until September 11th, when they were finally told what the police had known all along, that the body was indeed that of their daughter, granddaughter, niece, sister, and friend, Kesara Stops Pretty Places. A couple of important things that I want to note as well in this sort of timeline piece. Uh, When they found the body, remember that the aunt was there. So she was seeing things. She couldn't see the exact person because they were wrapped in the plastic tarp. But she saw that the grass underneath the body was green when they lifted it up. This means that the body couldn't have been there very long, which makes sense, again, given that it was in such a public space. Um... And yeah, so I think that's important to note because it just means that whatever happened to her probably happened somewhere else because Sarah had been missing for days. I also wanted to note that this was very, very close where her body was found, was very, very close to the reservation, but not on the reservation. And in order to understand this you definitely have to have the context of the MMIW crisis as a whole. There's so many laws that still exist today that are completely outdated or conflicting with one another that basically make jurisdiction really confusing. But if she had been found on the reservation, it would have been up to the native tribal courts to figure out what happened and try it first potentially. But being off of the reservation by just a little bit, made it the state's jurisdiction and basically put her case in the hands of the police. And just being so close, it's like half a mile off of the reservation, definitely sus. So real quick, we also need to talk about the yard that she was found in because she was found in someone's like house, like their backyard, basically. Um, it's kind of like an open area that like begins to be in their backyard. And (laughs) when you see it on a video, it like makes it all kind of make sense. But obviously when there's a dead body found in someone's yard, you have to look at that person, (laughs) you know, you can't just like roll them out. But it was in this like, again, very open public space where anybody could see that it was there. So like you know it doesn't really make sense that this person would be involved cuz why wouldn't they have hit it further into their yard if they were involved with what happened to her but obviously this would be a person of interest and he was made a person of interest but the family is fairly confident that he had nothing to do with this crime first off the body was found in the very public easy to spot location on this man's property almost like whoever put it there wanted it to be found Secondly, it's also very important to note that this man lived practically next door to Natosi. Remember, the very abusive boyfriend. So, yeah, perhaps someone was trying to put it in his yard to frame him. Or maybe put it, maybe it was Natosi who put it in his neighbor's yard. Either way, it seems like she either never left that area or... The person who placed her there wanted us to think that. Hope that makes sense. The man who owns the yard that she was found in is named Stephen Schaff. The way that this man found out about K. Sarah's body being in his yard, assuming he didn't put it there himself, was his son calling him and saying, Dad, they found a body in your yard. And he was in this nearby town for work. And what he said was, quote, that he was quote-unquote flabbergasted by the discovery and has no relationship to Kay Sarah that anyone can find. Next, and probably most importantly, I want to go over the treatment of the family at the hands of law enforcement. So, first off, the autopsy actually conflicted with what police told the family had happened to her Um, and that was something that I found totally upsetting. They were told one thing had happened to her when something completely different had. According to the family's attorney's website, the Bighorn County coroner, a man named Terry Bullis, actually took Kay Sarah's remains to his personal funeral home and coerced the family into cremating Kay Sarah's body against their cultural beliefs you see he told them that he would not release the body back to them unless she was cremated I can't be sure of this because I'm not a lawyer but that for sure sounds illegal to me upset and just wanting to put her to rest the family reluctantly agreed feeling like they had no other option This obviously destroyed evidence for her case, but even if that evidence still existed, this case has actually never been investigated by authorities. They still insist to this day that they do not see evidence of foul play in this case. They never filed a missing persons report or entered this event into the National Crime Information Center. Additionally, family of Kaysera has been denied documentation and meetings that they have requested throughout the years, raising red flags and eyebrows as to why on earth these authorities would not want to meet with a victim's family and give them all the help that they deserve. The county attorney even questioned the family as to why they keep saying that she was murdered. Should I remind them? Wrapped in plastic. Okay. Green grass underneath her. Okay. (laughs) She wasn't laying there for all of those days. Somebody put her there. It's just so exhausting. Anyway, obviously, this is a case where we need the authorities to act and to act responsibly and to raise awareness that there is a literal murder that has gone completely un investigated, let alone unavenged. So I want to go ahead and ask you guys to do a couple things. First off, share this story. Share it on your social media. Share this episode if that's helpful to explaining the story. The date that she went missing was August 24th and that's coming up. Definitely consider sharing this on your social media on that day and using the hashtag justice for Sarah. There's also a ton of places that you can donate to the MMIW crisis in general and helping find justice for all of the cases. Involved in MMIW, so I'm going to be linking tons of resources that direction in our show notes as well for every case that we cover related to MMIW. So that's yet another way that you can help. But sharing the story and raising awareness puts pressure on the police in that area that you know people in other areas of the country care about this and want to know. There's petitions you can sign, etc. So. Jump into the case, get involved, and thank you guys for listening. Let's do something here. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider becoming a patron of our podcast. For $7.99 a month, you can unlock tons of perks like breaking news text messages so that you're never out of the loop, tons of bonus episodes are already up there ready for you to binge, and a discussion board full of networking opportunities and much more. Go to www.patreon.com forward slash sugar media today to become a patron. This is the best way to support our show. Our patrons make News Du Jour possible. But a couple other ways to support our podcast are rate and review on whatever podcast platform you use to listen, share on your social media, you have influence, tell your friends, family and colleagues that you love News Du Jour and why you listen. You can also follow us on social media under sugarfreemedia.co on Instagram just sugarfree media, all one word on TikTok, and sugarfree underscore media on Twitter. We also have a weekend newsletter called Dreamers Digest that's full of dreamy content recommendations for your weekend and a life update from yours truly. Sign up today on our website www.sugarfreemedia.co. Our music is by Joey Lavoie and Nicholas Foster. Our cover art is by Hannah Pierce Photography. Our Sugarfree Media logo is by Catherine Jezik Designs. Any twinkling or little footsteps you might hear in the background are by my dog, Rhett. He's a rescue pup and always records with me. We appreciate you listening and look forward to telling you about the news again next time on News Jour. Broadcasting from